God in unexpected places. This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Here's Jason Elam. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another edition of the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I'm Jason Elam. I'm so grateful to have you with us again this week. Hey, before we get into the episode today, I want to ask you to do me three quick favors, if you please. Number one, would you please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to this podcast? By hitting the subscribe button, you help us book great guests for the future. You see, often when a guest is considering coming on the podcast, they'll check out our subscriber numbers to see if it's a good use of their time. So by hitting that subscribe button, you're helping us book great guests for future episodes. Number two, if you will rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it, that helps spread the word about the Messy Spirituality Podcast and get it in front of new eyes and to new ears. Finally, I want to invite you to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes. When you support us there, you help us produce the best sounding podcast that we can, but also it unlocks some rewards for you, like uh, you'll get the episodes one week early before they're released to the general public. So you'll get exclusive early access to each and every episode just by becoming a Patreon supporter for $1 or more per month. You'll also get a free copy of my book when it releases later this year. And I'm really excited about that. And I hope you will be too. Once again, that's patreon.com slash Jason Elam writes. And I'd appreciate it so much. And now here's this week's episode. Welcome in friends to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. My guest today is Carl Forehand. Carl has 20 years of experience as a pastor and counselor. Through the years, he has counseled people in marriage, career, finance, spirituality, and general life struggles. This has not only provided experience within his own belief system, but also an appreciation for all beliefs. Carl is certified in plant-based nutrition through eCornell. He's also spent approximately 30 years in business and manufacturing. His wide array of experiences helps him relate to most areas of our world. He's the author of the forthcoming book, Apparent Faith, What Fatherhood Taught Me About the Father's Heart, being published by Choir which releases on July 1st. Carl Forehand, welcome to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you today. Uh, start off by telling us a little about who you are and what your journey of faith has been like. Okay. Probably in high school and college, as, as a lot of people do, I stepped away uh, from the faith. I was raised a Southern Baptist. When I, I got to the point in my life where I wanted to reinvestigate or where maybe I'd kind of come frustrated with the search for something better. The reason I stepped in this way is because throughout my life, I'd found a lot of rejection. I'd have thick glasses. I was short. I, you know, all of those things that superficially kind of hold you back when you're a kid. When I wanted to re-enter the faith, I, I did what was most comfortable, what had the best chance of me fitting in. Because when, when you feel a lot of rejection, you need to fit in. And and that became kind of my goal in life, and so I, you know, I chose the faith where I'd have the best chance of uh, of blending in. Just fast forward that to when I'm about fifty, and I'd become very good at succeeding in business, manufacturing, and things like that. But also had about twenty years experience as a pastor of fitting in. And even a church planter, the church planter of the year, by the way, in Nebraska one time told me, that's what you should do. You should you know, go and fit in and meld into the 
the community and be like them. And then, then you'll attract them and then you can have a bigger church. And so I got very good at that. But about two and a half years ago, maybe just got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore. My faith, the things that I was sure of, that I'd build a lot of certainty around, kind of started to unravel. And and I think it was because I was discovering good things. I was discovering, you know, a God that was more Christ-like, but um, the people around me didn't understand that, and they weren't supportive of that. So I I, I found myself planting a church, planting a church rather successfully that I just, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't stay there because my faith was changing. Um, at the same time, I was doing a lot of things for money that I felt like needed to be reevaluated. That, that's what kind of, that's where um, the big intersection in the road was. <laughs> it's very hard to explain. I understand. Did you grow up with a positive or a negative impression of God, Carl? I would say fairly positive. I, you know, I have fairly good memories. I have a, you know, I, I got at least a biblical foundation. You know, I, I, I would still, you know, even when I was practicing what I would now say was, was, was kind of off, still was focused on love and mercy and grace. Some of those things, you know, I'm able to distinguish that there was a lot of good things that came from church, but also now kind of able to identify that that there were some things that weren't that productive and weren't that helpful. And and that's what I'm trying to sort out for the second half of my life. Gotcha. You talked about being a pastor and church planner for many years before coming to that point where you were willing to rethink some foundational beliefs. What brought you to that point? Was there a specific catalyst where you just said, I know you mentioned that it just wasn't working for you anymore. What wasn't working? I remember standing in the pulpit and just publicly going through that struggle with, I don't know if you remember the, should I make the cake or not make the cake for the gay couple? You know, and I publicly kind of wrestled with that in a sermon one day. And I remember some people's heads just about popping off. (laughs) And uh, we had investigated, well, not investigated, we we totally kind of revolutioned our health life a few years ago when we went all plant-based and just got a lot of feed, a lot of uh, negative feedback about that. And, and I, I started doing some yoga and, you know, a leader in my church kind of mentioned this in the introduction of the book. He, he refused to take communion from me. And so we got some pushback, but I, I think just, it was just an overwhelming feeling of kind of not being authentic. I was having to to throttle myself instead of saying what I really felt. And more and more, I think, you know, more than anything, I just needed some time away of not being Pastor Carl for a while so I could figure out what what I do believe. Right. Well, and you mentioned your rejection issues and insecurities from childhood. I mean, Mm -hmm. that puts so much pressure on us to be people pleasers. Yeah. That's something I've wrestled with my entire life. I know for me personally, it, it was almost more than I could handle to try to keep everyone happy while questioning and and really relearning some foundational things about who God is and what he wants from us. Um, it, it's so much pressure, you just begin to crack at some point. You just can't keep everybody happy and really follow what, at least I interpret to be, the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. Right. And even even though I, you know, kind of prided myself on, we call it stepping on people's toes, you know, and 
and challenging them and so on. But, you know, from watching it from a distance now, I can see how, you know, you really can't push very hard at all. You know, not all at once. People aren't, people only do what they're ready to do. How did, uh, how did that process, the, the remodeling or deconstruction process, what did that look like for you? What did you let go of specifically? And what did you gain in that process? What I let go of, it's really centered around my new book where I started thinking about how how I treat my children. And one of the tough things for me to give up was the the notion of hell, at least in the way that I used to think about it. You know, I thought about my children, especially when I saw the movie The Shack and that Sophia scene and read Paul Young's book, The Lies We Believe About God. And started to kind of make those connections with, you know, could I honestly say that I could punish my children forever, not just punish them, but torment them forever because they didn't believe in me, you know, or because they rejected me. Uh, and and those, those kind of things, you know, kind of came to a head. And I, I really didn't want to wrestle with them, but I, I felt like I had to, you know, and, and are we originally good? Are we originally bad? We say, and just in general, what is God like? Well, I had always talked about the love of God, but how far does that go? And so I wanted, when I when I sat down to write the book, I just began to wrestle with, with all of those issues. And it just seemed to tie in very, very closely with, with my children. Like when our children learn to ride a bicycle. I read a book recently that just described in great detail about when their kid first learned to ride a bicycle and how exciting that was. For the family, but after you go through that euphoria of your kid learning to ride a bicycle and finding the sweet spot, and just you all get excited together, but you don't turn around and say, "Listen, I we need to spend some time right now with you praising me for teaching you to ride the bicycle." But we also don't say, um, "You know, now that you've learned to ride the bicycle, you need to tell all your friends." about learning to ride the bicycle, you know, we make a lot of comparisons there, but it, you know, and it, it just, you know, it all began with my kids maturing and, and getting through that whole process of raising my kids. And, and they started to teach me really as much as I was teaching them. Um, but also just a big reflection on all those kind of, kind of issues and what I thought they taught me. So what specifically, and I don't want you to give away the whole book here, but we can tiptoe into it a little bit. What specifically did you learn about who God is as father and who you are as God's child from your relationship with you and your kids? Believe it or not, it's it's, it's almost becoming hard to go back and, and remember what I put in the book. It's been through the edit process and all that <laughs> stuff. You know, I, right. I think hell was a big thing. I think prayer, you know, specifically. We went through just recently, um, my daughter had a baby eight weeks premature and just standing in that room with uh, my grandson, you know, fighting for his life and watching my, my daughter and her husband with that look on their face of, man, this is a big deal. And I talk about in the book, you know, resisting the urge to to run out of the room and saying, what the hell, God? But in the end, looking at my daughter and her husband, looking at the child and standing there with her and realizing 
that that's what God does with us, that he, he stands over us, he stands with us, and, and he's a God that doesn't always take my problems away, but that he, but that he stands in the NICU with me and he, and he cries with me. How does that change your prayer life, Carl? Uh, a lot of folks ask the question when going through deconstruction, well, do we still pray? Why do we pray? If we're not just praying to be saved and forgiven, and we're not just praying for others to be saved and forgiven, what does prayer become for someone who realizes that our relationship with God really isn't about us or our behavior? Yeah, and it's, it's totally changed my prayer life. And then it's helpful. My pastor's Brian Zahn and he does a prayer school, and his big thing that he says is prayer is not to get something from God, but is to be properly formed. It's taken me a while to adopt that. What does that mean to you, being properly formed? It means that, that there's there's things that happen as we recite. He calls them well-crafted prayers from <laughs> from history. But also, as as we we say the different things, we recite things, and and as we just he calls it setting with Jesus or contemplative prayer. So we do all those things. It's forming us into to who we should be, and it, it's what happens in a relationship. That's that's why all of that stuff kind of relates back to my kids, and it relates to to families and things. Like, it's what happens in a relationship. Uh, my my easy answer to be well, how do how do you pray? Well. Well, it really goes back to what we used to say, even in in those those other circles, is you just talk to God, right? I talk about that in my book. If God is only good when He's given me the keys of the car, then I'm still immature, you know. And I kind of traced it back to when when my kids were infants and I fed them. We changed their diapers, not so much me as Laura, but you know, and we were good to them. We were seen as quote unquote good in their eyes because of what we could do for them. And if if you look at it honestly, we really didn't change that much as we matured. You know, we became teenagers. And I say my teenagers only came out of the room to ask me where their clothes were, ask for some money or get the keys of the car. But if we're, you know, if we're still like that as adults and we're still, we got to admit maybe we're still teenagers, the best times, maybe when you're just sitting alone, not saying anything. This definitely changed me to a little bit more contemplative, but I still talk to God. I still tell him what I'm happy about, what's going on in my, you know, he's a, he's my, I'm in a relationship with him. And just like my wife likes to talk, all of that, I think it's the relationship that forms you. Uh, I think I have a lot better understanding of the Trinity and how that, that Trinity is an other-centered, self-giving love. It's a, it's a relationship. It's a dance. I don't think I, I don't know if I answered your question, but that's. <laughs> no, I think you did. That's kind of where I'm at. Laura and I are still, we had a discussion last night about prayer. We're still, we, we still wrestle around with it some. You know, we talk about a deconstruction process or a remodeling process, but in some ways that journey really doesn't end. Mm-hmm. We continue to shift and wrestle with things. I, I think maybe one of the greatest benefits of that process in my life is that I'm okay with wrestling with things. Mm-hmm. It's okay to not be certain. Yeah, It's okay to have doubts and struggles. Sure, And it's okay to talk about that out loud. Now, as you mentioned, it, I think one of the hardest things for me was, you know, trying to pastor a church while dealing with all of that. Sure. I think yeah. there's advantages and disadvantages to that. I don't recommend it for most people. Certainly, I wasn't ready to handle that. Right. And it's a really hard process to go through while trying to lead other people towards faith. But Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let me ask you about 
you know, church life. One of the old cliches that we hear in church life is God is in control. Hmm. Now you address that in your book. Does God control us? Does he control our circumstances? Yeah. When I talked about it in the book, I said, my boss, that was the, the thing he remembered the most that I told him. He used to call me his spiritual advisor, but he never really listened to me. But he remembered that I said, God is in control. And we were going through a tough time. And I said, the trouble with that is it may not be true. I, I breathe in, I breathe out without much thought. It's kind of an automated process in my body. I, I like to think that God controls the natural forces and things like that. But but again, that, that God is in control is, is really hard for me to accept anymore. Or maybe a better way to say it is that God controls us. I, I think we we look for control. We want God to be in control because of our fear. And because we're we're afraid, we want more control. We but we know in our own lives, we know from experience, once you get to a certain age, I think that when you're afraid and you control, it usually makes things worse. And where I noticed that with my teenagers is especially the girls during especially during um, middle school, which I call hell. <laughs> Because I didn't understand anything, but I something would frighten me, uh, scare me, or think about it. I think Man, I need to control this, and my my teenage daughters would get upset at me, and I'd say, "Well, I'm just trying to help," and they'd say, "Well, you're not helping. <laughs> you're making it worse by trying to control it." And a lot of things in my life were, were like that. That I'm afraid I try to control, but but God is not afraid, you know. <laughs> He's not worried, and and I think many times maybe maybe he does make things happen in spite of me at times, but I don't think that's his general disposition. I don't think God's fretting in a corner, saying I, I need to control this or Carl's going to screw it up. I, I think sometimes he just lets me screw it up, knowing that he can make something good out of even the worst decisions we make. Yeah, sure. Sure, and I think I think it you know kind of still goes back to that that image of not God orchestrating a, an itinerary for our day like Bob Goff talks about, but it's more like it's more like Him standing over our life, going, "What do you want to do today? This is going to be fun." Yeah, right. And I want to I want to do it with you. More and more, I'm I'm seeing that a a good father. That, that's what a good father would do. Yeah, I, you know, the, the whole God is in control thing has been such a struggle for me because, you know, back when that was kind of the platitude that I lived by, you know, don't worry about it, God's in control. Mm. I didn't have an answer for the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. I didn't have an answer for September 11. Right. I didn't have an answer for why my grandfather got Alzheimer's disease. I didn't have an answer for all the difficult circumstances of life. And those platitudes seem to run out at a certain point. And I think more comforting to me than a God who controls all my circumstances is a God who enters into my pain. And like you said, comes to us in the Niku and, and cries with us. And, and he's not going to stop all the, the painful things that happen in this life. And we may never understand why that happens or, or how that happens, but he's there with us in the pain. Yeah, it says, I will be with you. One thing says a lot in Scripture. That's right. So how did this process taking root in your life, how did that, first of all, how long did that take? How long was your remodel 
you know, there's days I feel like it's just getting started. <laughs> it's been at least a year and a half of hard, hard work. I'm associated with a group called Breakthrough Heart Connection Seminars and Breakthrough. We did some real intense work. For the last year, I've been in spiritual direction training, but what that means is I have a spiritual director and part of a group process and did some real hard work. I've also done some shadow work kind of on my own. And yeah, it's been about a year and a half. We're getting closer to two years now of just really, really hard work. And the writing process for me was was part of that. Was that therapeutic for you in some way? Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's It's the one way that I can get my thoughts to flow. And, you know, in person, usually, and probably even on this podcast, I'm measure my words and think about them before I say them. But in writing, that seems to just flow out. And of course, then editors rewrite it and hack it up and make you feel horrible about it. But <laughs> but right. at least the, yeah, the process, I, I, you know, I stepped down from my job, took a couple of months off. And when I finally got quiet and got still and, and began to really write, I, I wrote probably a book and a half in a month. I mean, and it was very good for me, yeah, to to just get all that out. You mentioned that you are now a part of Word of Life Church. Did you when you stepped down from your ministry position, did you immediately go there or was was that a process for you as well? No, I had a um I mentioned Heart Connection Ministries, Paul Fitzgerald, who wrote the forward to my book, kind of coached me along also. He was he's kind of the silent partner and all this. And all throughout that year and a half, he was whispering in my ear and when I, when I would ask him things. And real early on, probably in the first couple of months, he said, you know, you ought to read this book by Brian Zahn. It was Centers in the Hands of a Loving God. And he said, you know, he's just an hour away from you. And I, I see, yeah. And so, I, you know, to be honest, this is just being real honest. I didn't know if I was going to like Brian Zahn or not. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's an odd bird, you know, but in, in a good way. Yeah. And I, I would say that to him, you know, he's, he's just, he's a unique guy. But I've grown to love them good. over the past year and a half. Brian and Perry are just one of the most important parts of my journey. How has this journey towards settling into the love of God in a deeper way, how has that changed you personally? How does it affect your relationship with your wife and with your kids? I think the the biggest thing is that I'm just way more authentic. I'm, one of the things Brian tells me, Brian doesn't give much advice, but he one of the things he says is be at peace. Stay on the, he says, stay on the journey. And he says, be at peace. And that kind of makes you angry when someone tells you to be at peace because it's just like, how, how the heck do I do that? But I I would say when you need to do shadow work, you're real reactive. You stuff those things down and then, then they come out sideways at odd times. I, I heard Laura say the other day, she said, well, when you do this, well, you don't do that anymore. You know, that was like gold in my life to know that that I'm less and less, at least, I'm reacting because I'm at peace. And the guy at work doesn't bother me as much anymore, things like that. Can you unpack that term shadow work for us, for foes who haven't heard it before? There's a guy named Robert Augustus Masters that wrote a book called Spiritual Bypassing. That was the first book I read. But he wrote another one called um, 
Bringing Your Shadow Out of the Dark, I believe is the title. And I have one chapter in the book about that. But the way I understand shadow is that uh, for survival reasons, when things happen to you, you stuff things. That's the best way I know to explain it. And those could be good things. Someone I know in my life tried to grieve over someone dying or someone having a, a hard time in their life. And the other person said, don't do that. You can't. We don't have time for that, right? So for survival, they stuff that down. And mine was, of course, rejection. And I talk about that a lot in the book. And so when you stuff that down, well, then let's say that I, I might get real reactive and jealous over my wife because I've had that rejection. You know, it's down there somewhere and it just comes out negatively, it comes out as a reaction to things that it shouldn't react to. And so the whole idea is, is making friends with that. It's, um, we have an inner critic we have an inner child, and, and to me, it's getting in between those two and, and not necessarily declaring war or eradicating anything, but let's just get it all on the surface and, and let's talk about it some. And for me, it was saying to that inner child, I got your back. I'm an adult now, and I can protect you. We can do this. We don't have to be afraid of those things anymore. We don't have to react to them, but we can we can handle this in a in a more mature way, you know, in a healthier way. And so that's you know that's as far as I understand it at this point. It's literally changed my life to do some of that work. Carl, what would you say to somebody who's listening right now, who's just begun that process of owning their faith, questioning things that they've long believed, and really just unsure and uncertain about the future? What do you say to somebody who's starting that journey? I would say a couple of things. Number one, what, what Brian's told me uh, many times is just stay on the journey. Um, and that it's okay to feel uncertain. It's, a, it's okay to have some paradox in your life. It's okay to, to not know and not be able to define everything. But also I'd tell them just, you know, they're going to feel like they're going out in the desert. But my comfort to them is that there's a lot of other people out there. And you're going to find some similar people out there on the same road that you're on. That's my favorite thing that the Bible says over and over and over again. It says, don't be afraid. This is this is going to feel a little different. It's going to feel a little weird. It's going to feel like you're on new legs, but you can do it. There's other people that will walk with you. Carl, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you for your book. It's a quick and easy read, but it really has a deep impact. How can people get the book and how can listeners engage with you online? You can find me at Carl's Coachings, Carl with a K. There's a Facebook page that's, I hang out at the Water to Wine community all the time on Facebook. Carl's Coaching is where my blogs are, and that kind of points to the podcast we do. But the book will be out July 1st, be on Amazon and everywhere. But if you're connected with me anywhere, I'm sure you're going to hear me talking about it five times a day (laughs) pretty soon. I'm so anxious about it. Well, congratulations on your book. I'm really excited about it. I hope all of our friends listening today will get a copy of it. Friends, I really do want to encourage you to order a copy of Carl's wonderful book, Apparent Faith, available from Choir Publishing on July the 1st. Carl, thanks so much. You bet, man. You've been listening to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. You can find us on Facebook and visit us online at MessySpirituality.org. You can help spread the word about the podcast by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and sharing links to each episode on your social media. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode.